and again. If it wasn't for the goodness of the Lord, where would we be? And it's an awesome thought to contemplate and to think about not only God's greatness, but also God's goodness. It is certainly good to be in the house of God one more time and to be in the company and in the presence of God's people. I would like to uh, thank all of those who uh, had something to do with my being here today. I'd like to acknowledge and thank uh, Dr. John McVeigh, the president of this great institution, uh, the senior pastor, Pastor Alex Bryant, for allowing me to stand in his pulpit in his absence. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Maynard Reed for his kind uh, invitation to be a part of this day uh, and the kind hospitality of Dr. David Richardson. Um, I am what you may call a vagabond preacher. That I don't have my own pulpit and I am beholden to others for the opportunity to exercise God's gift. Uh, when I don't have an opportunity like this, that is to say in a church setting, I have the tendency of abusing my students in class. And instead of teaching, sometimes I will just take a text and they will just have to hear a sermon. As I said this morning that the difference between teaching and preaching is temperature, and uh, there are just some times that even in the classroom, when I am talking about the goodness of God and the greatness of God, that I cannot help myself. Um, I really, really wish that you all knew where I've come from so that you would know how far God has brought me. Uh, I hope that uh, somebody will take a picture of me in this pulpit so that I can show people what God can do with a nappy-headed boy from the north side of Memphis, Tennessee. It is only because of his goodness and his mercy that I'm able to stand before you. It is a double uh, pleasure to make this trip and to be and to hone in on Dr. Young. Um, I'm not going to wait till they confer it. I'm declaring it now, Dr. Young and Dr. Buckner. 
Um, it is a, just, a, just a joy to have this opportunity. Um, I would like to invite you to turn with me to our scripture reading in 1 King, Kings, the 19th chapter. And I would like to invite you to uh, read again verse 9, and then I would like for you to join me in reading verse 13, First Kings, the 19th chapter, and I would like to invite you to read with me verses 9 and 13. I will be reading from the King James Version. I invite you to read from whatever version you have available to you. Um, with this being Black History Sabbath, if I can, uh, if you can indulge me and deviate perhaps a little from your custom, uh, but I would like to invite you to stand with me as we read the two verses together. Shall we read? And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah. Verse 13, together. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And may the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the doing of his word. This afternoon, I would like for you to consider with me for the next few minutes or so the topic, climbing the wrong mountain, climbing the wrong mountain. Uh, if you weren't here at the first service, um, I would like to uh, invite you to participate in the sermon. Um, the, the black preaching event is not a monologue. It is a dialogue between the preacher and the congregation. And um, I know that sometimes that you may not be initiated, but I would like to initiate you 
into the black church experience so that you can understand our code language. If, if I say something that you can agree with, that you believe is truth, you can just respond by saying, Amen. If I say something that is touching closely home to you and might make you feel a little uncomfortable, you can say, God, Lord, help me. If, if I say something that you don't agree with and you think I'm getting a little off, then you can just say, God, help him. <laughs> it, is, it is totally appropriate in the black preaching experience to, to say, God, help him. And uh, if I'm moving a little slow, getting to where I need to go, and you feel as though I need to move it along, you can just yell out, come on up, preacher. Come on. <laughs> and if you just get caught up, and that's okay too, you can say what she said. Preach, preacher. So, so now that you know how to help me, and if you help me, this is one of the secrets in black preaching. If you, if you help the preacher, it helps him to move on and then sit down. So, so if I don't hear from you, that means I might, have to, I might need to repeat the point until you get it. Shall we pray? Father God, speak now to your waiting people. Bless them in spite of the instrument chosen. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. For those of you who are familiar with this narrative, you know that this... this uh, scene that was read in our scripture reading uh, comes after Elijah's great experience on Mount Carmel, bringing down the fire from God and then commanding the destruction of the prophet of Baal. Jezebel wasn't in attendance at Mount Carmel when uh, Elijah made the great appeal, if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be, Baal be God, serve him. But you need to choose this day whom you will serve. And so it was a long and grueling day for the prophet. And after the work was done, he did as anyone would need to do. He got him some rest. But then he was, woke, he was awakened with a 
with a message from Jezebel declaring that I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets before the night end. And Elijah does something that was strange in the midst of such a signal victory on Mount Carmel. He panicked and he ran. Now, 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 this past week I noticed that in your in your communications from the, the chaplain's office that, that this was a week emphasizing depression awareness. And I wish I had the time to deal with that space between where I'm going and uh, that Elijah traveled over. There's a lot of insight that is contained in those first verse eight, those first eight verses as it relates to dealing with depression. But I, I would just make this observation is that to, to deal with depression has nothing to do with your spiritual state. Even a prophet can de get depressed every now and then. But what is interesting is that when the prophet ran, God did not send an angel to, to Elijah and say, Elijah, uh, straighten up your back. Be a man and face Jezebel. But rather, God sent an angel and provided some food for him, brought him some water to drink, and then said, uh, get some sleep, and then woke him up again, fed him again, gave him some water, and said, <coughs> you need to take this nourishment because your journey is too great for you. In other words, God provided Elijah the resources to run even while he was running in the wrong direction. And so Elijah had run for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and, uh, and the text says that we read that he came to Mount Horeb, found him a cave, entered into it. And it was while he was in the cave that the word of the Lord came to him again. And he asked, him a question. And the question was, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now, questions are an important tool for God for not for gathering information. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because God needs some answers. But it is through questions that God confronts us and calls us to think through certain things. Questions cannot be fully understood in print. Yeah. 
in terms of what the real question God was asking him. The only way to understand the true question is that you have to hear it. Because there's a certain accent in the asking that helps to clarify what is being asked. Take a moment, if you would, and take this simple question that God places before Elijah, that, that God knows where Elijah was, why he was there. He knew that it was Elijah, but it all depends on where you put the accent will kind of determine what the question really is. See, it could go like, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the accent is on what? Or what are you doing here, Elijah? Or it could be, what are you doing here, Elijah? Or what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, of all of the people, why are you here? But, but if you read between that that first asking of that question and the second asking of that question, you will understand two things, that Elijah didn't understand the question that God was asking and that it helps to understand, you will understand exactly where the accent was in the question with God. Now, now consider, if you would, that Elijah is where? In a cave where? At Horeb. Horeb is the mountain that is oftentimes seen as synonymous as Sinai, the Mount of Moses. And so when God asked Elijah first, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah began to explain, Lord, I'm here because Jezebel was going to kill me. And I'm the only one that's been serving you. <coughs> and I, I, I felt like you needed somebody to survive to keep the story alive. And then so God said, well, Elijah, you didn't, you didn't quite understand what I was asking you. So, so, Elijah, I want you to step out to the mouth of the cave. And I'm going to make it clear for you. And when he stepped out at the, at the, at the mouth of the cave, what, what Elijah saw and experienced that that, that first, as God passed by, there was a strong wind that rent the mountain and break it in pieces. Then it says, but God was not in the wind. 
Then it says, out of the wind that the earth began to quake. But it says, but the, God, the Lord was not in the quake. And then it says, out of that there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in that. It was after the fire that the text says, then the Lord came in the still, small voice. And then God asked him again, What doest thou here, Elijah? You see, all of the signs that Elijah was looking to hear the voice of God through were signs that God has spoken to Moses through. He had run to Moses' mountain expecting a word from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, I understand why you ran. I understand that in doing this work, sometimes you get weak. Sometimes you get weary. Sometimes you get tired. Sometimes life situations block out my hand and my power. And when you are threatened, sometimes you will run. I get that. I understand how you, how you feel. But my question, Elijah, is not why you ran, but why you ran here. You see, this is Moses' mountain. This is where I showed myself to Moses. This is where I demonstrated to him through the wind, through the earthquake, and through the fire that my majesty and my greatness, this ain't your mountain, this Moses mountain. You know, mountains represent those high watermarks in the life of the Christians. That it could be said truthfully is that we live our lives between mountains and valleys. That the sooner you get that, the sooner you are able to live life not up and down because of your situation. Because you never can stay on the mountains. Life is lived between high points and low points. So that if you're, if you're on the mountaintop, don't get too excited. Because sooner or later, you're going to have to go back in the valley. 
But when you're down in the low points, when you're down in the valley, don't give up. Because sooner or later, you'll find yourself moving back up to the mountain. So that as you look throughout the scriptures, you see these high points. You see, Noah had Mount Arak. Moses had Mount Sinai. Abraham had Mount Moriah. The temple was built on Mount Zion. Even in the life of Jesus, it was, it was punctuated with mountains and valleys. He taught on a mountain. He was tempted on a mountain. He prayed on the mountain. He was transfigured on the mountain. He died on a mountain. He ascended for the first time from a mountain. And Ellen White says when he comes back the third time, he's going to step out the city and he's going to step on a mountain. And if you take a moment and think about your own lives, you will discover that there are mountain peaks in your life. Don't let your present situation or circumstance define your life. It is just a fleeting moment. And when you get down and out, remember the mountains, your mountain. Not your mama's mountain, but your mountain. Not your daddy's mountain, but your mountain. Not the preacher's mountain. Not the teacher's mountain, but your mountain. If you're honest and look back over your life, you know that God has brought you through some things. If you're honest with yourself, you know you should be here, except for because of the goodness of the Lord. But this is the thing. That in those moments of trial, make sure you run to the right mountain. God says, what are you doing here? Your mountain is Mount Carmel. You should have gone back to where you saw the power of God in your life. But instead, you got this notion that somehow, if I can get back to where Moses was. Let me let y'all in on a little dirty secret. That everybody, when they look at their own lives, and they're honest. They look at other people's lives 
and they hope and fantasize that their lives are running are great and therefore they want to live somebody else's life. The dirty little secret is, is that there is nobody in this room from the pew to the back door that do not have problems. That do not have struggles. And sometimes we are so dishonest with each other that we are unable to help each other through their issues because we are unwilling to be honest about our own. In every life, there will be rain that will flow. But also in every life, there is also sunshine. And here, Elijah was trying to find the presence of God, the word of God, the direction of God in his life on somebody else's mountain. Ellen White says in Ministry of Healing, she says that when you're going through a deep and dark moment and you cannot see the presence or the hand of God in your life, she says you must go back to the last place that you saw the light. Is that when you return back to where you last saw him, you realize that he's never left, that he's always been there. Whose mountain are you on today? Are you ascending back to the mountain in which God has demonstrated God's power and might in your life? Or are you hovering over somebody else's mountain expecting God to speak to you, relate to you in the exact same way that he related to your mother, your father, your pastor, your deacon, your spiritual mentor? When God is desiring to have a personal relationship with you. When you experience trouble, just simply say, like Andre Crouch, take me back. Take me back to that place where I first saw the light. Take me back that I may see your face once again.